This audio is from the Axis Church and is from our sermon series, The Gospel of Matthew, Following the Unexpected King. For more information about the Axis Church or its mission in Nashville, Tennessee, go to theaxischurch.org. Let me pray and we'll get busy in Matthew 15, 21 through 28. Let's pray. Jesus, um, I need your help. I need your help to preach this text. Help me believe the sermon as I preach the sermon. Help everyone who hears this sermon believe you. Lord, help us not just receive information, but help that information lodge so much deeper than our ears and our eyes and our mind and help it go to the depths of our hearts so that it doesn't just provide information but transformation of who we are into more and more likeness of who you are. Lord, as we look at this issue that's in this text that you bring to the forefront, that you make an issue for us today, would we handle this carefully and listen attentively and keep us from distraction, especially on an issue like what is being brought up today with you and this woman and her daughter and this demon. Lord, help us listen. Help our hearts listen. Help us see. Help the eyes of our heart see. Change us. Somehow, use me as a vessel today to help all of us in this room. In Christ's name. Amen. Walter Scott, have you been watching the news at all the last week and a half? If you've been on social media, you know Walter Scott. You've seen video. You've seen yet another person reduced to a hashtag and a three-week movement where there's great concern, great hostility, but in the end, there's nothing that's going on to truly repair the broken systems of injustice. Race is a prevalent issue right now in our country, in our world, in our city, and in our church right here. Race has been a big deal for hundreds of years for thousands of years. And the thing about race is everyone has a strong, firm opinion, right or wrong, never indifferent. Everyone has a firm position on where they stand given any instance or occurrence when a Latino man or a black man or a white woman, regardless, we have opinions and dispositions that we judge from. Few people can honestly be indifferent if any people can be indifferent on race. This isn't new. Race has been a big deal for a long time. Race was a big deal even during the life and time of Jesus, as we're going to see today. If you haven't already done so, find Matthew 15. I believe it's important for us to follow along carefully, looking at these words together. Look in verse 21. 
And Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. This very burdened and concerned, emotionally distraught mother comes crying to Jesus, not crying for justice, crying out for mercy. Mercy needed for her daughter to stop being tormented by this demon. And it seems like something that's T-balled for Jesus. I mean, it's just set up, it's easy. It's right down his alley. I mean, this is, this is a prime opportunity for Jesus to flex. Yet there's more here than what meets the eye. And Matthew lets us see that. You see, this lady was a Canaanite, and Jesus was a Jew. These two did not get along. Extreme hostility. We can easily read over this text and just see it as a woman having faith in Jesus finally healing her daughter. Or we can look in context to the culture and the time where these words were written, where for centuries, when Matthew penned a Canaanite woman, cried out, O Lord, Son of David, that would have been radical. Bizarre, crazy. And I hope to bring this to light this morning. Clearly, assume with me so far this much, this was a racially tense moment. This is a big deal. Matthew's letting us know this is a big deal because he describes the woman as a Canaanite. He sharpens it. He brings it into clear focus. This is a race issue. You see, the Canaanites were the nemesis, the enemy of the Jews, of the Israelites, the people of Israel, the children of Israel. They were the thorn in their side. They, just, they would not leave them alone, pestering them for thousands of years throughout the Old Testament. Canaanites and Israelites, they did not get along. Now notice that she cries out, O Lord, which is fitting, but she says, son of David, which is a title reserved for the Jew to use for their savior. O son of David, Bethlehem is implied. David the psalmist is implied. The Messiah that David longed for, the fulfillment of the Old Testament promises, the Old Testament being the literature to the Jews and their story, their history. For a Canaanite, for a Canaanite woman to use our phrase for our Messiah, that's wrong. That word does not belong in her vocabulary. Oh Lord, have mercy, that's fine. Oh Lord, son of David, you're going too far. Matthew gives us this quote from this lady because that is proving, once again, this is a racial tense, racially tense moment. So how's Jesus going to handle this non-Jew? How's he going to respond to this defiled Canaanite woman? After all, if the Pharisees got bent out of shape over the disciples not washing their hands, if Jesus and the disciples offer this woman grace and mercy like she's asking for, they're going to totally lose it. She's defiled and she does not deserve to speak to the Jews, even though Jesus is in her territory, which we'll pick up that in a minute. 
So is there going to be a limit to grace and mercy when race is involved with Jesus? Let's see how our wonderful Jesus responds. Look in verse 23. But he did not answer her a word. That bothers me. As I read this text, that concerns me. I find this at least interesting. (laughs) Jesus is silent to this woman. What is going on? And his disciples came and begged him saying, Lord, please show her mercy. Please hear her cry. That's not what your Bible says. That's not what my Bible says. That's what I want it to say. Because that's what I want to believe I would say. That's what you want to believe you would say. But let's look at the honesty of the text. And the disciples came and begged him saying, send her away. She cries at Jesus' feet. The disciples beg. They beg. They beg Jesus, send her away. For she's, she's crying out after us. Like, she's, she's not leaving us alone. Do you see who she is? Now, the disciples, they're not silent on the matter. They're begging, not for mercy, but for Jesus to send this lady away. Not to cast out the demon, but to cast the woman out of their presence. Jesus, please. Send this weeping mother of a demon-possessed girl away from us. This is getting so frustrating. It's so awkward. She's a Canaanite. She keeps begging us, following us, screaming out to us for mercy. Just, can you just tell her to leave? You want me to tell her? I'll tell her. If you just tell me, I can tell her. We can, we can move on. Jesus answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Again, here Jesus interrupts the woman. He interrupts the disciples. He interrupts his own silence with, I was sent. I was sent only. I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Let me break it down. I was sent just for the Jews. That's what Jesus is essentially saying here. She begs for mercy, and Jesus simply states his mission stone cold. I was sent for the Jews. His silence was crushing, but his words that he says here are devastating to this lady. Has to be. And here, if I'm honest, here's where I take offense at Jesus, and I walk away weeping. Why has he shown mercy to thousands of other people? And he's not showing me mercy. I'm done. I'm out. Let's see what she does. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. Here the mother humbly submits herself even further to this wonderful Jewish rabbi. She bows before him, and she says one of the most precious and sincere prayers ever spoken, ever recorded. Lord, help me. This defiled Canaanite woman asks for help and healing from the healer and the helper, this Jewish teacher, Jesus. 
the proclaimed Messiah. Lord, help me. And he answers, it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Again, a third time, so cold. His words leave her no room for hope whatsoever. After she begs the second time, she's only confronted with yet a more wounding response comparing the Gentiles, the Canaanites, to dogs. Dogs weren't pets to the Jews. They looked at dogs like we today look at possums and skunks. They were filthy. The only thing good for was to eat scraps and to try to keep the town clean. They were unclean animals to the Jews. And the word dog was a racial slur. Again, Matthew's wanting us to see that race is a big deal. And how Jesus handles race. And Jesus seems incredibly harsh and cruel, showing zero compassion. Especially when we learned earlier in our study in Matthew, where Jesus saved the son of a Gentile centurion, saved his son remotely, without being present, he heals the centurion's son. Why isn't she getting the same grace and mercy that he got? That he received? Perhaps the cold print words of Matthew's manuscript conceal the irony that's at play here or the playfulness in Jesus' tone. We don't have that because it's just black words on white paper. But what we do have, regardless of, of what it was like and, and how he was handling her in his tone or demeanor or posture, what we do know is that Jesus was absolutely confronting this troubled mother with the sort of language that was expected by a Jewish rabbi to a Canaanite woman. This is normal. Actually, normal would be indifferent. The woman comes begging and they completely ignore her. Or the woman comes begging and they respond like the disciples want Jesus to respond and the rabbis would typically just get out of here, stop following us. Your problem isn't my problem. And you move on about your business. That would be normal. So up until this point, this is all to be expected, though still very difficult to read. Her faith is being tried. Her faith is being tested. To say the least. Let's see how she responds. She said, yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Her reply here recognized and respected the priority of the mission of Jesus to Israel. But nonetheless, she's claiming an extension of that mission to the Gentiles, to her people, to the Canaanites. She believed that there was room for her and her family in the Messiah's salvation of people. She had grasped the plan that God had began working through Abraham in Genesis 12 
of saving a people from every tongue, tribe, people, and nation that would one day through the church extend far beyond just Israel. She had somehow grasped this theologically. Practically, she had a category for what others didn't have a category for. I mean, somehow she realized what Paul would write about later in Ephesians, where it says, remember that you Canaanites, you Gentiles, were at that same time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. In other words, you weren't the people of God. You were strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off, speaking of the Gentiles, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For Jesus himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commands expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in the place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility, doubly making peace, creating peace, killing the hostility, doubly making peace. And he came and he preached peace to you who are far off, you Gentiles, you Canaanites. And he preached peace to those who were near, you Jews. For through Jesus, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you're no longer strangers and aliens, but you are now fellow citizens. Somehow this woman grasped this theological truth. Somehow. And she was claiming that promise. This mother had a had a dream. She had a category. She had an idea. She had a belief where red and yellow, black and white would all have a seat at the table feasting, celebrating the lamb that was slain, the lamb that would reconcile any differences, the lamb that offers mercy to any so long as they come and kneel before him, acknowledging his lordship and, and acknowledging his ability to save them from their sin. The mother was aware that God, through Jesus Christ, was creating one man in place of the two. That he was building a kingdom, a whole new world, where all are now going to be defined by Jesus and Jesus alone. The theology of this mother far outshines the disciples' theology. The, the theology of this woman is remarkable, and for this faith... In Jesus, she is rewarded. Look at what Jesus tells her. Then Jesus answered her, O woman, which can oftentimes be translated daughter. It's remarkable. It's not the same word that was used earlier in describing that this woman, this lady was a woman, that this person was a woman. This is different. This is a heart language. O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. Whatever it is that you desire for your daughter, it's done. And her daughter was healed instantly with a mere thought, with a few words. Jesus commands a demon that had been tormenting this girl, this daughter, commands the demon to leave her, and it does so immediately. Those separated in person, 
though not physically eye to eye with the demon, spiritually through the Holy Spirit at work in this situation, this demon is commanded to leave this girl and it does so. Remarkable. This woman has discovered that we come to God and we belong to God's people, not on the basis of our ethnicity or our religious rituals, like hand-washing, to use what's in context here. But we become part of God's people based solely and entirely on the response of your heart and mind to the work and the person of Jesus Christ. The outsider, this Canaanite woman, is actually an insider. In a real sense, she's a lost sheep that Jesus came to save. And this is the text that we have for us. I have some concluding thoughts that I think is helpful for our church. You know, Jesus didn't just drift or aimlessly arrive in Tyre and Sidon, this Canaanite Gentile region. He had a specific appointment where he knew this lady would show up to have this encounter. The Jewish rabbi, Jesus, went outside of the Jews' territory to the land of another race, to the enemies of his people, in order to save a family that the disciples thought had no business being saved or a part of the the grand plan of redemption. Again, context says that the issue of defilement is central here. Jesus teaches the Pharisees regarding their requirement of his disciples to wash their hands. And the disciples probably felt pretty good that Jesus was telling the Pharisees that his boys don't have to wash their hands. And they're probably like, yeah, like listen to our our Messiah. He's punking all y'all. We don't have to wash our hands. Yet here, moments later, Jesus is calling out the disciples. The Pharisees want to wash their hands, but the disciples want to wash their hands of this woman. Let's be done with her. Let's no longer make her an issue. Let's not talk about her. Let's not acknowledge it at all. Let's just move on. Let's send her away. And then in response of Jesus, you see the the apparent silence and the cold shoulder that Jesus was giving this needy woman looks right in line with the attitude of the disciples. Let's just send her away. However, we see in the full story that this was not a cruel response of Jesus towards the woman after all. Jesus was allowing her to see just how much faith she actually had in him and what he could do and was willing to do. Where I admitted that I would leave, she stays. Where I walked, she knelt. Where I pushed back, she drew near. Family, perhaps there's times where through prayer, you feel like God is absent, unaware, doesn't care, like he's not engaging you whatsoever, he's giving you a cold shoulder. In times like these, just like this moment with this woman, may we see and learn and trust that Jesus is never more present, more aware, more engaged, and more teaching us than in moments just like that. It's as if 
He's using these moments to not just answer a prayer, but he's using these occurrences to teach us a lot about where our faith lies even as we pray. Do we believe Jesus can heal? Do we believe Jesus can help? Sure. Do we believe that Jesus can heal or help later than what we expect? Probably not. When I pray over certain things, if I don't see movement within a reasonable time, I mean, I find it reasonable. If I don't see God moving, I'm discouraged, I doubt, I push back, and I just forget it. Oftentimes, it's how I operate. I don't have the faith of this woman where this woman continues after she's got every reason to leave. She continues to plead for mercy from Jesus. Do we hold faithfully on to Jesus in prayer, in faith, even when we feel like he is unresponsive? Here Jesus is teaching the woman something and he's teaching the disciples something. Jesus is tilling the soil of the heart of the lady and the hearts of the disciples. This is the time of year where we plant gardens, where we turn the soil over. And it's aggressive. Tilling is hard work. It's where you get sunburned and you get blisters. And you get frustrated. You want to throw something that's too heavy for you to throw. But man, if you could, you would throw it. It looks as if you're destroying all the vegetation. It looks like you're just creating death as you roll over the soil. But what you're doing is preparing the soil for the desired plant. You're working it difficultly, working it, toiling with it, so that it will produce what you want. That's what Jesus is doing here with the hearts of the disciples and the heart of this woman. He isn't ignoring her or being rude or cruel to her. He's working it. He's working hard on this woman. He's working hard with his men. And I imagine the disciples were totally on board with the initial responses of Jesus. Oh man, tell her, Jesus, she's not Israel. She's a dog. Tell her. Tell her that, that, that you're not for her, that you're for us. Tell her she's not part of who we are. She needs to go find somebody else that can help her. You're only here for us. Tell her. Yeah. Yet Jesus was using this to show the disciples that they were the most needy in this encounter. Even needier than the woman and the daughter who was possessed by a demon. You see, the mother and the daughter, they knew that they needed mercy. They knew that they needed compassion. The disciples, totally unaware of their need for compassion. They thought they were nailing it. The disciples of Jesus. This tells me that just because we're part of a church that makes much of Jesus, that we can be wrong on issues. And that our hearts can be in a wrong place, especially regarding things like race. Christ's disciples are, also, are, are often less gracious and less compassionate than Jesus. And my prayer is that God will help us here, individually and as a church. How often are we operating outside of compassion and tenderness towards need, especially when race is involved? Man, I see it through social media outlets, on Twitter, on Facebook. Man, honestly, I pray for some 
for some people just to do what Jesus did early and just be quiet on the issue. Don't say a word about it. That until you can see how the gospel has shaped you as a person in light of your need, unless the gospel is speaking into how you're talking about race at all, keep your mouth shut until your heart is moved by the gospel that produces grace and compassion towards other people. May God work in our church in such a way that we respond to racial tension with mourning, that we respond to racial tension with weeping and sympathy and compassion, seeking to learn more about what injustice looks like for all people, not just for the people of our particular skin color. It seems to be so difficult to sympathize with others who have needs outside of our own who have needs that are unique to ours. It's amazing how difficult it is to sympathize with people of different races that are on. My prayer is that we'll respond with mourning and compassion rather than trying to find the non-compassionate loophole in the story so we can walk away. Where we look for the deeper issue and not just for the, well, if he hadn't have gotten out of the car, then... Hush. Learn to be broken and to weep and to mourn with those who mourn. How often do we look for the way out to where we can step away rather than looking for any opportunity to step in. Where can we get in this story to show grace and compassion and mercy? How can we get in here to sympathize? Instead of standing back as a judge or a critique, looking at all the evidence, saying, well, here's what should have happened. Here's why it happened. Here's this. Look for any way in to show grace. Don't look for a way out to show law. This, that's not how you're treated with Jesus. I don't see how we can preach grace and preach Jesus and, and talk the way that we talk about injustice and be so slow to show grace and mercy. It is hypocrisy in its clearest form in our culture today to show such intolerance to racial tension and issues but go speak of how much you've been loved by Jesus and shown grace and forgiveness by Jesus. But this person doesn't deserve it because of this. But I receive grace and I love grace. I love forgiveness. This person doesn't deserve forgiveness. It's hypocrisy. It's foolishness. It's, it's theologically ignorant. How often do we stay as far away from that side of town so we don't have to see those types of people? I think for a lot of us, there's a lot of people I know in Nashville who pray for certain types of people to leave their neighborhood so it becomes a better neighborhood. And we see so few people moving into needy neighborhoods, not to flip the neighborhood, but to be a missionary to the hood 
and to love the people and find the needs and strategically find ways of meeting the needs to point fingers to Jesus and say, he's the reason why I'm here. He's the reason why I'm helping you because he's helped me so much more than I can ever help you. And he's here to help you too. The things that frustrate us are probably the reason why we're there to allow the gospel to flex instead of sending things away like the disciples wanted. And that frustration, she's just not leaving us alone. Jesus sees it. No, this is why we came to Tyre and Sidon to begin with. This, I'm about my father's business. I came to seek and save the lost. She's a lost sheep. I'm here to save the sheep and her daughter. Jesus is using this to pull this lady into the kingdom, but the disciples see her as a hindrance to the kingdom. She's slowing us down, Jesus. Help fix this, Jesus. Get her out of here. We don't need her kind following us. It's ruining our reputation. You know what kind of riffraff's going to come around us if you keep bringing people like her around? Her faith in Jesus was radically more robust than the faith of the disciples who had walked with Jesus for months. Again, we can't consider our church or ourselves as individuals as any different than those disciples. Unless we're praying to not be like this, but to be like Jesus, we're going to easily drift to being a racist. Unless you're fighting to show grace, you're drifting to be a racist, period. And it's not just race, social class, economic class. We base things off of what kind of job you have, what kind of car you have, how smart you might be, if you have common sense or not, the way that you smell, the way that you dress, all these things. We so easily drift from showing grace and being tolerant with people that are different than us. This should not be. And as, as a church, as one of the elders of this church, I will speak now on behalf of the elders, we're not going to tolerate any passive-aggressive racial slur, passive-aggressive comment towards poor people, towards black people, towards white people, towards Asian people, towards Latino people. That is a sin. That is a horrid sin. It's anti-gospel, anti-Jesus, and we cannot tolerate it in our family here. Our desire is to see people, regardless of history, background, and culture, have something in common with everybody in the room, and that's one, that we have, we're great sinners, and two, that Jesus is our great Savior, and that he's the one who unites all of us, though we have such similar, or though that we have so many different backgrounds, and so that we're so different economically, socially, racially, but one thing we have in common, we have been touched and healed by Jesus Christ. That's what we want here. Anything less is not going to be tolerated. How often are we responding differently than Jesus because we don't see how God is working? We don't get the big picture. We're not living out what it looks like to be a Christian in obedience in that situation. Often we seem to work against his mission rather than with his mission because it doesn't fit our theological paradigm. Or we don't see how this is going to play out practically to be sustainable for our mission. So often, our lack of mercy and compassion towards those who don't look like us 
can be a result of us not seeing them as people created in the image of God. Or two, it's us not seeing them as potential recipients of God's grace and mercy. Essentially, we look at people of different races or people of different social or economic backgrounds and classes, we look at them as irredeemable, that they're beyond grace. They're so far from believing like we do and living like we do that they're, there's, they're, they're not going to get saved. They're not going to be part of who we are. This is sin. You see, we're putting limits on the plan of redemption that aren't limits at all, but rather they're opportunities for us to see the gospel shine and to see God flex his compassion and saving power through our response and through our reaction. Yeah, the disciples messed up. Yeah, we're going to mess up. But a comfort I have is that Jesus doesn't dismiss the disciples and say, you guys are never going... I mean, honestly, you're walking with Jesus. You have to see that this happens before. And if you're Jesus, you're thinking, are you, are you kidding me? You want me to send her away? Like, what are you guys doing? He doesn't write them off. He teaches them. This gives me great hope. If I just go off what I learn on Facebook from Christians, whoo, there's no hope. Oh my gosh. It's awful. But when I see Jesus sticking with his people and teaching them, I find great hope there. Church, he's going to help us. But we must pray hard for God to work in our hearts to become more and more like Jesus. And respond more and more like Jesus. And he responds to the prayer of, Lord, help me. As a church, let's pray, God, help us. Also, I find it interesting that what it was that brought this lady to Jesus, the tormenting of the demon of her daughter, is what Jesus used as the means to save her daughter and herself. Practically, what we go through in life Suffering, persecution, cruelness through racism, whatever trial and suffering we go through, I believe God is using that to get our eyes off of our ability to save ourselves and get our eyes onto him, the one who can handle the darkest, most bleakest trial and affliction and persecution that we will ever face. We know that he can because after all, he took our greatest need, our greatest trial, and he handles it on the cross. He takes care of our need as he actually stands in our place for us. And he takes on the required suffering and death for us so that we live. You see, we're outsiders through our sin, and Jesus makes us insiders through his righteousness and through his work. And if we can trust him to do that, then we can learn by grace, we will learn to trust him more and more with the day-to-day -day afflictions and sufferings and persecutions. And as we learn how much we've been forgiven, we can learn to show more grace and cry out mercy instead of trying to find the letter of the law that proves your particular stance to be correct. Axis family, are we as a church, are you as individuals with me, are we living out radical redemption? Are we crying out for Jesus to help us live lives that should glorify him?
Ask the Spirit of God this morning, using this opportunity that you have right now with the preacher telling you to do this. Use this opportunity. Cry out to the Holy Spirit to change your heart and to move in your heart today, asking him to reveal truth to you, to change you from the inside out, as the heart is what defiles a person. Ask him to start transforming your heart and changing your heart, being sensitive and tender and sympathetic and compassionate and gracious and tender and kind and gentle, basically a Christian. Ask him to produce in you what a Christian is supposed to be anyway. And it's not by going and trying to do those things in and of themselves, but looking at how much you've been forgiven and seeing how he loves you and how he has forgiven you, and then the gracious response is living out the forgiveness you've received and the grace that you've received and the mercy that you've received. It's not about adding more kind acts and deleting history off your Facebook, which probably wouldn't be a bad idea. And it's not about just adding good comments about other races, though again, that's fine, but it's more than that. It's why you're doing that. It's because you have been wowed by the grace of God through Christ, and that is the natural outflow, the outpouring of his goodness in your heart to other people. It's effortless because you're continually reminded of how many times you've done the wrong thing for the wrong reason, and he shows you grace and forgiveness. And to withhold grace, mercy, and forgiveness and still say that you're a Christian is antithetical. It's sin. You're not believing Jesus. You're not holding the truth. You're trying to live in two different worlds. My friends who aren't believers who have gathered with us today, my prayer is that you would cry out for Jesus, for faith, and for belief. Ask him to allow you to put your rest in him and his finished work for you. Simply just cry out as the mother did, Lord, help me. The compassionate heart of Jesus that we've witnessed here today in the full story is the same even right now as he continually loves those who are near and loves those who are far off, still making outsiders insiders still making the orphan the adopted with an inheritance of the king at the king's table forever. He stands right now ready to receive you in your doubts, in your sin, in your disobedience, in your dirt, in your apathy, in your racism, family. Jesus stands there not to judge you or condemn you, but to receive you and love you and change you and clean you and heal you and save you and build your faith in his finished work and remind you of your identity that is now found in him and not your own record, but in him and him alone. This is the good news of Jesus Christ. Pastor Jacob, come and lead us in communion and I'll pray for us. Jesus, thank you that you did not do what was expected in showing this lady mercy. 
Lord, thank you that you did not do what was expected and, and ignoring this lady, but you showed her mercy and you finished the story. You didn't leave it at being silent, but you spoke and oh, how you spoke and oh, how you worked and tilled the heart and pulled her, pull, pulled her to full obedience and faith in you. Lord, would you do that with us this morning? Every one of us, would you work hard in our hearts? Or would you till our hearts and allow us to believe you and to persevere in our belief with you and not just tap out at the superficial, seemingly blind eye that we get from you or a cold shoulder or deaf ear, but would we continue to plead for mercy and kneel before you and seek you, knowing that those who seek find. God, help us. Help us have a heart that's after you, that desires you, that continues with you for years even. God, help us. And Lord, would you help our church resemble the kingdom where people are represented from every tongue, tribe, people, and nation who have that one thing in common, that we're sinners saved by you. And that the only reason that ever makes sense for this group of people to be together is you and you alone being the common denominator for every single one of us. God, would you do this? Lord, help us treat others the way that we are to treat them, shaped by grace and mercy, looking for any way in whatsoever to show grace and mercy as we see this lived out by you. And your spirit is in us. So if it produced that in you to others, it can produce that in us, through us to others. That's what our neighbor needs. That's what our streets need. That's what our city needs. That's what our family needs. That's what, that's what my four kids and my wife need. God, change us as a church. Help this be the safest place possible for anybody of any skin color, any economic background, any social status, to be able to have a fair seat at the table of fellowship where they have the opportunity to learn about you and to experience fellowship, true friendship from other Christians. I don't want to tolerate or accept anything else. Holy Spirit, do this in this church. In Christ's name, amen.